welcome to our Burkhamp London London Arsenal podcast. You know my name by now, I am Carl, for those who don't know me. Um, and we are here to talk about all things Arsenal, as we do, because who doesn't like to talk about Arsenal, especially when we're winning? When we're not winning, it's not so good, is it? But the people who are here to talk about Arsenal with me is the man, the myth. Mm, some people call him a legend, some people call him a monster. I'm a little bit in between. Daniel, hello. Hello, Carl. You all right? I am good. Remember, I'm the favourite who is always here. Not like the other ginger one or the the French one or the one who thinks he's French and wears weird weird clothes or the one that pretends he's a key worker. Who's the one that's really here? It's uh, it's a Carl and, and and Danny Wonderland. That's it. I, I put it in. This this is this, this is why I had a no show last week, people. That group of slackers. I put it in there today. I've got a free spot if anybody wants it. Focus was going to join us, but he's had to pull out. And how many repl- eleven people in that group? Carl, how many replies did I get? None. Fuck them. None. We're shaming them. I think we should name and shame them. We should name and shame them. I think we should name and shame Chris Carpenter. Uh, we should name and shame John. We should name and shame Ellis. All of them. Every okay, single Ellis. one of them. Apart I from the only ones who get a buy is maybe Josh because he's got a new job and Femi's got a new no, job. No, I fucking too. Fucking too. Well, Richard's got a broken arm. Multiple broken arm. How much? Do you need your arm to talk? Hey. Oh, Danny's mum's. Um, for everyone who's not watching on YouTube yeah, and listening to this on a podcast, Danny's mum is with him. She just made him some crumpets and some tea. And the, the way that he spoke to his mum, I am appalled and ashamed, Daniel. Absolutely ashamed. Anyway. To who? To there'll be about 14 million people who will see this. Oh, no. No? Okay. I think I'll. Anyway, um, Danny, we have another guest with us, don't we? We certainly do. And his name is Suburban Chris. How you doing, Chris? I'm all right. In Danny's defence, um, he did say that his mum has been stabbing the, uh, the the Marmite crumpets quite aggressively. So, you know, maybe that's a little insight into uh, why he's uh, why him and his mum are at loggerheads at the moment. He's ruined his crumpets. No, you never take Danny's side. You always take... Chris, you should know this. You always take the mother's side, always, because <laughs> mums are always right. You know, mums are always right, no matter what. There must have been a reason why she stabbed the crumpets. Maybe to make them cook better, Danny. I was no? saying goodbye to me, mum. What did you say, Carl? I said the reason why she stabbed the crumpets was to make them cook better. Was it? I do like my crumpets really well done. Should I share with people the video of, of me meeting the, 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 the legend that is Magic Mike? Do it. Are we going to get onto that later? Okay, well, whenever you decide, Carl, you let me know. You give me the nod and it will be done. I'll make it so, as uh, Picard never said. Uh, well, since you've mentioned him, well, you can share the video of, of him now. Because um, we, well, I saw him on Monday with you and it was lovely to see, oh God, my camera's gone fuzzy again. It was lovely to um, for him to come over and visit you. Um, how did that come about, Daniel? Well, his missus is going to kick him out and she's taken all of his money. And so he's been living in a, a, a rented room at Highbury. Is your resolution thing changed again? We're about to find out. Because you're in a more better lit room at the moment. While you're figuring that out, I shall share with you people the video of um, me share screen and the window and the thing 
and then a share. Are you ready, people? This is me meeting Magic Mike. Da, Obviously, da. the people who are not um, watching this on yes. YouTube and listening to this cannot see this, but uh, I'll give you a little brief description. It is Magic Mike coming out of the train station and Daniel sitting in his chair and Magic Mike molesting Daniel. I'm not going to say he didn't like Me and Mike are both so fat that the, the ground starts to move there. That coat makes me look fatter than I actually am. Uh, yeah, that's what everyone says, Daniel. And there you go. That was a momentous occasion in the world of um, Arsenal podcasting. Anyway. Has that, made anybody, has that made anybody well up? Isn't it oh. nice, though? It's nice when you actually get to get people that you know off of the internet and suddenly you oh, don't get say to that meet John around. Person. It's just really <laughs> lovely. I did the same thing. So I met Chris and um, I met Mike at the pre-Villa game and it was lovely. It's just nice to be meeting people that you talk to on the internet and you strike up a rapport with and then you get to actually have a chat with them over a beer and stuff like that. I met Jason as well. Um, lovely chap is old Jason. And yeah, it was, uh, it was a good chat. It is. Yes, I've actually, I, I, I stole all of those pictures. Um, what, what did I do with them? Um, I think I called them Podcast Wankers. I've got to look at the, there we go. It's that, it's that the file is actually called Podcast Wankers. <laughs> and uh, where's the one with you? I think that is, no, you're not in that one. You're in the one before. With, uh... No, you're not. I haven't got that one. Danny, I'm going to crack on while you do this because people who are listening on this on their phones are going to be thinking, "What the fuck is he going on about?" Well, they shouldn't be listening on their phones. They should get on the YouTube and and go and have a look there because uh, there we go. Here's the picture, and that is Chris and Neil, who and 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 uh, our Chris. And considering Neil and our Chris are so short, what were they standing on? They were actually standing on about a um, a big step in the in the Tollington, and uh, Neil looks like he's got his come to bed eyes on, doesn't he? <laughs> and there's our little pirate Chris wearing the most amount of rings a man can wear on one hand. Almost looks like he's going to wait until it kicks off. Anyway, um, there you go, Carl. Just get on with the show. Yeah, six minutes into it, everyone's probably thinking, "What the fuck." Uh, let's talk Arsenal, Danny. Let's talk about the League Cup, first of all, which it's really good that we've gone so far in it because I think we're playing... Normally, we play the kids. You know, we play every kid that we've got. Uh, previously, it was a competition that we wasn't really interested in. But I think this year, because we have no European football, we are trying to go as far in it as humanly possible, because one, it's still a trophy, no matter what, even if it's the League Well, it's only the League Cup when we win it, when Man City win it, it's a trophy that counts towards their amazing quadruple. Um, for me, I think there is a real possibility of us going far, just because Man City are out now, so that's sort of everyone's almost favourite gone, which is which I think is brilliant. And there's still obviously Liverpool and Chelsea who are still in it, who scraped through through um through the knockout, through a penalty shootout. But we have now Sunderland in the next round, which at home, which you've got to be thinking is a is a favourable draw. Chris, when you saw that draw, would you happy with that draw, considering the teams that we could have got? Do you know what? I was happy with the draw at first um, because I thought it was away from home. 
because I just saw it on my uh, phone. It just said Sky Sports, you know, Sunderland away. And I, my wife's got family up there. So it's basically an excuse for me to say, well, you know, we should go up there and see your family, you know, <laughs> see your auntie and uncle. But as soon as I saw it was a home match, I thought, actually, do you know what? That's the set. That's the next best thing. Because let's be honest with the teams that are in the draw. As, what we all know is that as soon as we get a Liverpool, maybe not a Liverpool, but as soon as we get a Tottenham or we get a Chelsea or we get, a, if Man City went through or West Ham, they're going to play stronger teams against us because they have the same probably opinion of the League Cup, which is, oh, this is a trophy that we could probably win if we took it a little bit more seriously. So Sunderland represents for me an opportunity to play a squad that could be rotated be a better team, be a better squad than that Sunderland team that will go out regardless of whether it's their best team or a rotated team and it's the best possible opportunity to get to the semi-final and then you're talking about over two legs and then you're into a final. So, yeah, I was that was the second best probably thing apart from a nice, nice big away day out. I mean, yeah, I have to agree. I mean, anytime you play a team from a lower division, clearly it's favourable for you, especially playing at home as well because... Like you said, there are still big teams in there. You still got that lap up the road, and you still got Liverpool, and you still got Chelsea in it. Who, obviously, you know they are very strong teams. Who, the way I see it, you're gonna to have to play them at some point. At some time, you're gonna to have to play them. So, but the further and the longer you go into the competition, I think the more confidence you build up. Because if we get into the semi-final, then you're thinking, oh, it's only three more well, yeah two more games until you get to the final and that's always good and especially is it still Danny can you tell me if it's still two legs for the semi-final yes it is because I know yeah. they change oh it is okay that's good so yeah and especially with something like that with his two legs if you lose the first leg you know there's a chance for the second leg so it, it does build confidence I think but just want to touch on the Leeds game Danny, when you saw the team for the Leeds game, I mean, we always try to predict the teams. Was you was there any standout shocks for you um, in that game? I mean, the only one for me, I think, was playing Ben White. And I think he only played because I think um, Mari come down with some sort of um, virus. They said it wasn't COVID, but some sort of virus. I think if Mari was fit, he definitely would have played. But anyone else sort of shocks you from being in the starting lineup? Yeah, um, like you were right with Mari because he was meant to have played, but um, White was brilliant. We don't want to see him playing that game. The only one would have been Rowe because uh, we <coughs> Smith Rowe because it says Rowe here. It's having Smith Rowe there because he's played the most number of minutes out of all of our players this season. Second is um, Saka, and I can't remember who third one is. It's another one of the young lads. But um, playing him there, I'd have thought someone else would have come in and, and had a chance maybe play. But then again, it was, what what positions are you going to take out? Martinelli could have played there, but then we would have had nobody on the left-hand side. So I kind of see why Arteta did it, because you'd have had to move, move a load of players around. Not surprised Pepe played. I think that this is going to be Pepe's future. He, was, um, he got the highest rating of the game for us, apart from Leno in goal. I don't know why I said in goal. In Leno, who got a 7.8 and Pepe got a 7.5. But I was looking at it as a bit of a conundrum trying to figure out, well, who's going to play where and, and why. So I think considering the situation of of what players were more important for him to rest, then I think that, that lineup was all right. But I am surprised that um, Balogun didn't get any time. Like you could have played, recently we were playing 4-4-2. I think that was the only other possible um, way we could have done this is had Martinelli left Pepe right and play in Ketia and Balogun go old school, big man, little man up front and then rested Smith Rowe. But 
Leeds are a decent team and Leeds were, went out there to try and either kick us to death or win the game, didn't they? Yeah, it was... I think Leeds probably, like uh, Chris said, have the mindset of most of the clubs probably in the competition now. It's just a chance of winning. It's a chance of, of a trophy and they want to go as far as humanly possible. It's a, it's a quote-unquote backdoor way into, into Europe as well. So for me, you have to look at it and to say... Every team in this competition now are kind of rubbing their hands. Of I mean, not the likes of probably Chelsea and Liverpool. You know, they they know they're going to get into the Champions League by the league places. Our position is a bit more precarious because we don't know if we're going to hit that top four, obviously. But if it's a way of securing European football for next you know, season and, it gets and the trophy. Do you know what? Yeah, the conference what? is the, it's the conference, a qualifier it? for the Europa Conference League. I mean, it's that, still, that's just... But, I understand what you're saying, but it's more than we've got now, isn't it? It's more than uh, we're playing right now. There's, there's teams flying here, there and everywhere. But it doesn't matter, Cole, because we're finishing fourth this season. I thought we were finishing It's on. Okay. It's on. <laughs> yeah. Um, Chris, on, did you yeah. watch um, much of the game? What did you think of the game? I thought it was an interesting one. I thought Leeds started off with quite a strong team, actually. I thought Bielsa would do the classic rotate most of his players and essentially right off the game. But as you said, Carl, perhaps there's an element of him thinking, do you know what, if we beat Arsenal, we can we get ourselves into the quarterfinal and we go from there. I thought the setup was interesting. Danny, you made a really good point. I don't know why we didn't go two up top because we've been playing that with, with in the last few, few games prior to that. So is it not an opportunity to say to those players, okay, you're the rotated players, but we can play the same style, the same formation, the same format, so that if anyone gets injured from the first team against Leicester at the weekend, you can just slot straight back in because you've been playing that position. So it gives them a bit of cadence. So I'm a bit surprised that he did that. I'm not a fan of playing Enketia, um, unless he's on the verge of signing a new deal, which I'm not really a big fan of anyway. I think his time's probably up. I don't understand why we don't just put our eggs in the, the Balogun basket because as far as I'm aware, you know, he can sign for new clubs in January. He's not signing a new new deal for outside us. He can sign for jumps outside of the Premier League. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. outside of the Premier League. But all we're doing is we're not adding any value to, you know, not, we're not adding any millions to the money that we're going to get for him. We're just adding more a uh, few few grand onto his pay packet that he can command and his signing on fee when he leaves at the end of the season because his agent will get the old PDF or YouTube video out, video out of all of his goals that he's just scored in the season just gone by and say, well, that's why you want to play play my client, pay my client X number of thousand pounds a week extra than we were expecting. And this is the X number of million signing on fee we want. So to me, I would be putting my eggs in the either Martinelli basket or the Balogun basket. Um, and I think I would also have replicated the, the formation side. The only positive, I guess, from what you were saying, Dan, about Smith Rowe is that he's been a player that has been quite fragile over the years in terms of injury. You know, we talked just before we went live about how he missed a lot of football with Leipzig. Um, he's he missed a bit of football, even missed a bit of football at the beginning of last season because he was injured at the beginning of last season. So I wonder if this was... Arteta almost testing him and saying, do you know what? Play three games in a week. Let's see how you get on. And maybe he's come through it because he's now played. He played in the Villa game. He played in the Leeds game. And then he played in the um, in the Leicester game. So maybe it's just building up his strength and and the fact that he can play more games. I don't know. 
Carl, do you see any similarities between Smith Rowe and his evolution and the amount of times he gets kicked and not protected by referees and Wilshire? Because for me, I think there's a lot of similarities there. And Arteta played along Will, uh, <clears throat> alongside Wilshire when he was getting um, kicked regularly all through games and fouled, and, and no one was doing it. We, we've seen lately, haven't we? Saka and Smith Rowe are the ones everybody targets and constantly getting booted. And it's going to take its toll sooner rather than later, isn't it? Yeah, I think we're going to probably talk about you know refereeing decisions later on in this podcast, but it, 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 it's it's worrying because at the start of the season they did mention that they're going to start to let more things go. That was the the, the mantra and the mandate from the referees. But now it's just getting as everyone's found out. Yeah, uh, yeah, letting <laughs> <Exactly>. everything go. <laughs> uh, and I think now it's getting to a point where you know teams are. You know, there was always this old school mentality of Arsenal don't like it, Rob, so give them a kick. Leave your foot in. You know, what Sam Allardyce used to do to us and uh, Tony Pulis, yeah. they, you know, just leave the foot in. You know, they don't like it, Ralph. And it, it was this thing that went around, you know, the old school English mentality managers of, yeah, give them a little kick. And I think that's slowly coming back now. And it's worrying because players get injuries. They, they you know, they get injuries very, very quickly and it's, you know, you can't stop something. The problem is when you don't punish someone for kicking you, then it gives the impetus to do it again and again and again until they get punished. And the, the fact that people like Smith Rowe and Saka are very skillful players and they know that they're, if you, if you can kick them and injure them, then that's Arsenal sort of attacking threat gone. And teams are doing it, and, and it's worrying, and there's just no protection whatsoever. And it's going to be a time, and God, God forbid, this actually ever happens that another Aaron Ramsey situation happens, and then what what happens then? Then it's um, everyone, oh, you know, they should have been protected, and they should have done this, and they should have done that, and it's like, well, where was this? Where was all this talk? when it was happening to Arsenal. It was probably going to happen to like a Manchester United player and then everyone's going to go for, uh, up in arms. But it was just it's just this um, old school mentality of Arsenal don't like it, Ralph. Let's just leave the boot in and see what happens. And God forbid any one of our players do really get injured badly. Yeah. Can I just jump in on just one one point? Um, 7 a.m. kickoff um, said on his Twitter feed three days ago, he put a chart up, which I thought was quite interesting. It was from 2008 to basically this weekend, and he called it the total referee dis difference. So in other words, it was penalties and red cards, and it's penalties for, penalties against since 2008. Uh, top of the, and it was the current Premier League uh, 20 teams. To I won't read out all of them, but top of the league, have a guess at which team was top of the league for the most penalties uh, that they've been given and <laughs> the be beneficial red cards. That's same Man United. Man United. Oh, oh, plus 23 penalties they've had is their differential and plus one red card. Guess what team's bottom of the league by a country mile? <laughs> is it going to be a certain yeah, team that plays in North London? Yeah, a certain team that plays in North London. We're on minus six penalty goal difference and minus nine red cards, which, oh, you got it. That is shocking, isn't it? That really is. Um, is I, 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 Sorry, asked Danny on Mon I asked Danny on Monday... When was the last time that Arsenal played against 10 men? And I, I, I just find said it myself. FA Cup final. Yeah, the FA Cup final in 2000, was that? Uh, 19. 19? Was it 19 That's, we beat Chelsea or 17? 
No, it was 17, wasn't it? It wasn't 19, it was 17. <clears throat> Well, 2019 yeah, we beat Chelsea, but that was behind the closed doors. And then 2017 was when when uh, that was Wenger's last. Yeah, uh, and that's um, when Victor Moses got sent off. That's it. So Arsenal haven't had a red card for well for another team since all that time. That's just ridiculous. That is really shocking. There's a chance like, that we're just misremembering something. Like so that's, but the thing is, I tried that. I tried to find. That all the results, and then I went for it for, and I can't. To the top of my head, I can't think of a time when someone uh, sent off. Um, Matteo Kovacic got sent off in the twenty twenty final. He did indeed. Yes, I'm only looking at on Wikipedia. Kovacic. I don't know. Yeah, Kovacic that does seem a little bit more realistic. That was debatable. That was debatable. Yeah, second yellow in the seventy third minute. Yeah, I can, but even yeah, so, that's I, that's nearly what two so, year and a half ago. And is that just right? Well, it was take out the FA Cup then and say, I know I'm probably, you know, trying to uh, find things to find my favour, but you know, but even in the league, which you play your bulk of your games, the FA Cup run is only what six games. Um, it's still just shocking to find that refereeing decisions that don't go our way, and it's it's pointless to us moaning about refereeing decisions because we can't change it. The PGMI world is a very corrupt organisation. We know this. I'm, I'm surprised that someone hasn't. Carl, when I say something like that, what do you always say? Allegedly. Um, <laughs> These are the views of, of Carl Smith. Not a Burkamp one. I haven't told him your real surname, Carl, just in case. So, uh, allegedly, the PGMOL is a, is a very corrupt organisation. But, it, as, as I said on Monday, you could every single team in the league could probably say the same thing and say, we don't get decisions for us and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, there's probably a case for every single team to say that. But, I can only look at it from an Arsenal point of view and it's just ridiculous that we just don't get the quote-unquote rub of the green. We don't get, you know, things in our favour. I mean, like you said, Manchester United last season when, um, who's the centre mid? Scored that 18. Fernandez scored that, what was it? Some stupid like 10 or 12 penalties. penalties. That is mad. Just for a team to get that many penalties, it's just shocking. But what can you do? We're not, like I said, there's no point moaning about it because we're not going to be able to change it. And we just got to play football. When we just got to play football well enough so that the outcome of the football game is not determined by a refereeing decision. We've got to play well enough so that when we go out there, we're not relying on referees to do things in our favour or, or give the other team or give our team free kicks, penalties, X, Y, Z. We've just got to play football. And that's all we can do. Um, it, but it does that list that you just showed, Danny, it, mm. it does make for really, really worrying reading. And I do think it's worrying because at what point do you then look and think, is there an agenda against Arsenal? I, I don't think, I mean, you know, I, like I said, every single team can say, of course, there's an engineer against us, against Chelsea, against this, against that team, but I don't know, it is what it is. Anyway, let's talk about... Hold on, um, on. The, the other quarterfinals in the League Cup, Spurs, West Ham, um, West Ham will win that, Brentford, Chelsea, Chelsea, Brentford have um, shot the load already, and Liverpool, Leicester, Liverpool are going to win that. Now I've been saying for ages I don't I like a good league cup run, but I don't want us to get to the semi-finals because if we get to the semi-finals, that means um, in January we are going to be playing on the first Man City 
And then on the 4th or the 5th, semi-final first leg, the 8th FA Cup third round, the 11th or 12th semi-final second leg, and on the 15th away at Spurs in the Premier League. So, Chris, that's five games in 15 days with yeah. the possibility of four of our, well, definitely four of our players, um, uh, Bamiyang Party, Elneny and Pepe, will all definitely be at the, the, the African Cup of Nations because uh, their last group games are the 18th of January. Yeah, I think one of the worrying? big things, it's, it's a little bit worrying. What I would say, though, is that those two League Cup games, if we progress against Sunderland, you have to just expect Mikhail Arteta, you know, he's been playing some first teamers in some of the games like you know we went to West Brom I was up there at West Brom and we absolutely battered them but we played a really strong side he cannot do that when we get to January he's just going to have to go full rotation if you're thinking about the the team itself that played against Leeds so um, from that team that would probably play in the Man City game and then the following FA Cup weekend um, assuming that we don't get a uh, a very favourable draw in the FA Cup, we might end up playing like a Farnborough Town or something like that, in which case he really can rotate for that FA Cup game. And then he can decide based on which one's the home League Cup game, either side of those, what he goes for. But I would expect to see Bernd Leno, um, Ainsley Maitland-Niles, Rob Holding, Cedric Suarez, mm-hmm. um, Pablo Mari, um, probably Kolasinic, um, probably Nketiah, um, Martinelli. You know, you're probably going to get the likes of um, who else? Um, Nuno Tavares, maybe, depending on what happens with Kieran Tierney. If Kieran Tierney's fat fit and he's not playing, then maybe he's got an opportunity to rotate there. So I'm less worried about us getting into the League Cup quarterfinal or League Cup semi-final because I think that he will rotate. What I am very fearful of is missing the likes of Party, particularly Party more than Aubameyang, but those two players missing for Man City and Tottenham, that's a big blow. That's going to be that's going to be a tough January. We've not been handed a a very nice hand there, have we? And we haven't got the advantage of them not playing European football because that's the European football break. So we're all be on a level playing field at that time. And yeah. <clears throat> um, I would hope that I, I don't think any of those teams are going to get a shock, are they? Maybe Leicester, Liverpool, but Liverpool are at home and they are formidable at home. Cole, can you see any of those uh, those ties not going the expected way? I mean, I would have said um, the Leicester Liverpool, sorry, Liverpool Leicester, um, because Brighton showed that you can get at Liverpool, but Leicester has not been playing good football as of late, to be honest, and they're kind of on a decline at the moment. Those teams will, it depends what teams the, the respective managers put out. I, I can't see Chelsea losing to Brentford, I just, it's a derby. West London derby, so they're definitely going to go all out to try and win. Well, Chelsea that. have got two strong first teams, though, haven't they? They're the only one there that have got two. Man City can do it. Chelsea can do it. Man United could possibly do it. I don't think Liverpool have got two really strong first teams, have they? So no, everybody there's only really got one set of players. And I think you have to remember that they're going to be tied. And also, um, when you get into the latter stages, you seem to forget in that. Liverpool are going to lose their best player in um, Salah and they're also going to lose Mane as well. So, you know, there's Liverpool lose quite a few players as well like in their centre midfield. So it's not a given that any team, or especially Liverpool, just managed to get through and just 
are all okay. I think there's a lot of teams who are going to look at the African Cup of Nations who are going to come, it's definitely going to come at the wrong time for them. But, you know, a football's a squad game and you have to be prepared to, I guess, play the game with not all your strong team all the time. So for me, we can moan about the players that are not going to be there. I'm rightly so, to be honest, because Arsenal are going to be decimated because we don't have the best or biggest squad. But other teams around us are going to be in exactly the same position as well. So we just got to kind of, I guess, roll with the punches. True. So yeah, that's 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 what I think. Um, Chris, I want to ask you about um, the Leicester game. Did so. I'll be honest with you. I didn't think that we'd go up there and win, especially win so convincingly as we did. I This was one of the games where I looked at and I thought, this is kind of a bogey game for Arsenal because, and it shouldn't have been because we haven't been to Leicester and lost in, I want to say three seasons. I know we lost, I think we lost one time when Arsenal, made, no, when Emre was in charge and got battered quite badly, didn't we? But, um, I wasn't confident with this game at all. Was how was what was you what was your feeling at the beginning of the game or the build up towards the game? Well, I wrote about it in the preview, my preview I did in the morning, and basically said I'll bite your hands off for a draw. Um, three matches, you're right. We've gone three matches now. We've beaten them as in this weekend. We beat them in the league um, towards back end of last season, and we also beat them in the league cup. And then the season before that, that was where uh, Maitland Niles got sent off, and uh, and Madison went down a little bit easy. But yeah, I, as I said, I would have bitten your hands off before the game for a draw. Uh, I thought to myself, if we can start quickly and Leicester are a little bit sleepy, then maybe that'll have a bit of benefit for us. But I didn't expect that kind of start. That was a proper statement win. And it's really good because for most of this season, since the international break, every game there's always been caveats. Every, all, every one of us Arsenal fans have put caveats in. Yeah, but you know Norwich have got a poor team, so we should beat them. We made it a bit difficult for ourselves. Yeah, but beating Burnley away, they don't create too many chances and they go long ball. You know, yeah, but it's Tottenham, so it's a derby. It can go any other way. And yeah, you know, we were poor against Palace and not great against Brighton. You know, it felt like there was always caveats being put in. This was the first game where I haven't seen anybody put any caveats in place and all of a sudden people like myself as well are starting to think to ourselves actually this is big and this is one of those things that I haven't done this for a while so I was up I I didn't go to the game I was up in Northumberland with the wife's family and after the game I um, was just walking around the auntie and uncle's house and I just walked into one of the spare rooms and basically just started fist pumping like the air it was like four in the afternoon I'd had a couple of beers just fist pumping the air no one around going come on I've not done that in ages. Like it really felt like that's a big win. You know, there's no more caveats. There's no, no more yeah, buts. you know, that was big. That was a statement thing. And, you know, I couldn't be happier with the way that the way that we performed and certain performances from certain players. You now Ramsdale for the blonde, you shall not pass. He was absolutely <laughs> amazing. Yeah. For me, that save, but I mean, Ramsdale was just brilliant throughout the whole game. Um, I, I watched it like, at home and I was just like, this is just ridiculous. Like, I, by that free kick at the end, when, you know, just before half time, and you're thinking to yourself, please don't concede, please don't concede. And he manages to 
do that save. And rightly so, that Peter Schmeichel tweeted saying that, you know, it's one of the best saves he's he's ever seen because it was a really, really big save. And to go in 2 mil up as well, you know, when you go in 2-1, it gives the team impetus and thinks to yourself, oh, yeah, we've got a chance, we can get back into this. Their their heads must have been think down and thinking, what more can we do to try and get back into this game? Because everyone from Ramsdale to to Aubameyang were just immense. I thought they were absolutely brilliant. I thought we played such a good team game. It was one of the games, and you're right, Chris, it's one of the games where you were always looking for caveats, but there was there was nothing there. We just we just played a very good game of football and Okay, we dropped off towards the end, I think, when Leicester were obviously looking for a goal. But, you know, we, we didn't. We didn't falter. You know, back in the day, I think maybe two seasons ago, we probably would have conceded and may have gone on to concede a second. But you can see now there's such a different belief in this team. And I think the fact that we are able to play our quote-unquote first team every single game without the interruption of European football it is a big thing for us. I think Ramsdale, he, he gets the... He, he's confident because he's playing in front of a very good defender in Gabriel and a very good defender in, in White as well. So when you've got two good centre-backs in front of you, you know that the, your goalkeeper gives is, is, is confident because to get past those two, you have to be very, very good. And there was always a threat of Jamie Vardy. Jamie Vardy, for me, is still a good player. He's probably falling off now because he's, he's getting older and what he used to do, the pace is kind of losing him a little bit. But Leicester, in the second half, they attacked us, but at no point did I actually think, I'm worried here, they, they're actually going to score. That, you know, no matter how much they huffed and puffed, we was okay. I mean, Danny, did you get up to watch the game? Did you see any other game? No, I finally managed to figure out by accident how to... I can't get my... the. the However I watch it, I can't tell you how I, how I watch it. You know what I'm talking about. I couldn't get it to work on my fire stick. And so I thought I wouldn't bother getting up. And the night before, I was just going through my phone and I realised there's a a, a, um, a screen share button on my phone, whereas before it used to be a, a, an app. So I did that, worked perfectly. I went lovely, woke up, had about four hours sleep, woke up, watched it, went back to sleep after. But the, uh, then I downloaded the game from another specialist site and I watched it again and one of the most impressive things for me was the build up to Smith Rowe's goal he started down he was kind of tracking back at the left back position and then he ran across to the middle and then he ran across the the full length of the pitch up to the the, the their half and then it was still almost running when when the rebound happened or when he when he palmed it away or whatever it was I can't remember and then he comes steaming in and scored and I thought the last time we had a player that would track back and defend and then score goals regularly from midfield was Ramsey but then when we had Ramsey, we only had Sanchez. And there was nobody else. Well, Ozil was there. But we didn't really have anybody else who could build up play and, and score goals. And now we've got so many. I mean, whoever thought Aubameyang would come back and do now, have a better season now than he's had in any of previous seasons with Arsenal. Goals at that, after that number of games. And he just looks like he can be bothered. Which is, I was one of the ones, I mean, I admit that being guilty of saying get him out he looks like he's done he's one of them players that gives his best for two or three four seasons and then you need to move him on he's been re reinvigorated it's fantastic Ooh, fantastic to see do you also think Chris that the fact that we don't have any European football is giving our players a chance to have a proper rest in between games yeah I think 
it definitely has an impact. I think the ability, you know, when Aubameyang's 32 years old, you know, his recovery time isn't going to be as impacted because he's playing once a week. And I think that has an impact. I also think that the relationship that he has with Lacazette and the fact that uh, Arteta is finally keeping them close together, almost like they're on strings together at times. Now, I was looking at their heat maps after the Leicester game and they take up very, very similar positions centrally. What was interesting is that Aubameyang was actually on his heat map dropping a little bit deeper than Lacazette. And I thought that was interesting because in my head, I've always positioned Aubameyang as that like number nine and Lacazette is the connector, almost false nine that sits behind him. But yeah, Aubameyang was, was collecting the ball a lot deeper. But what both of them did, and I think this is where I'm going to go back to my Ramsdale loving because I just thought he was fantastic um, in some of, some of the work that he did. His distribution, quite often when he's playing those low sort of Daisy cutter passes, it's going towards Lacazette and um, and Aubameyang. What really surprised me is last season at times, Aubameyang's touch, it was like it 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 just didn't stick. But both Aubameyang and Lacazette, the amount of times where I watched them just pluck the ball out from their feet after Ramsdale has just, you know, how it's towards how it's the ball towards them, it was really, really impressive. And it makes a massive difference for the whole team dynamic, because instead of teams like Leicester going, right, well, let's just have four or five players that will just press you high. You've got a team that goes, OK, well, if you're going to do that, we'll just Edison you and go either through the middle or round the sides or whatever it is. So it means that we can chop and change. And I wonder if that's having an impact with Aubameyang and Lacazette, because both of them suddenly realise, actually, this keeper is going to ping balls to us and it'll be accurate. And I think that's helping their form, to be fair. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I definitely have to be a Ramsdale apologist because when we first signed him, I was definitely one of the people who questioned the signing. I, I didn't think that this was the player that we needed. Like, if you told me what goalkeeper we should have signed, I couldn't tell you. But, you know, you look at sort of all the the stats that went around about at Ramsdale, about he's been relegated um, so many times and how much goals he conceded um, when he played for Sheffield United when you're in the Premier League you, know, you, you do look at that and think to yourself God what kind of goalkeeper are we signing but you know I, I don't like this phrase either but Arteta told us to trust the process and you know in Arteta we trust I guess at the moment because he saw the vision he, he saw in Ramsdale what probably you and I well I definitely couldn't see but you know credit to him and, and also to put him in in the team straight away to just bench Leno and just say, look, Leno, I mean, we all know Leno's going at the end of the season. We, you know, it's, it, there's no secret to that whatsoever. Um, he's definitely off back to Germany more than likely. And I guess if we can get sort of 15, 20 mil for him, because that's all he's going to be worth. Um, no one's going to pay any more for him than that. Then, you know, we'll be happy. But, for him to come in and make such an impact as well, what you were saying, Chris, he has made a massive impact in this Arsenal team because some of the saves that he's made, you always compare, don't you? And you look at them and you think to yourself, mm, Leno would have conceded that, or if Leno was in goal, we probably would have lost that game. I mean, it's a given, some of them. But, you know, credit, credit to Arteta and also Ramsdale as well for coming in, proving... The doubt is wrong as well. He he's come in and he's 
shut every single person up who ever doubted him. Like, I was not one of these people who abused him online or just said he, you know, I think that was just absolutely ridiculous what people do. Arsenal fans are really idiots sometimes, but, you know, but credit to Ramsdale, he's come in, he's made that number one spot his own and, you know, next season he will have that number one on his back um, when Leno leaves. And do you know what? Credit to you, Leno, because you have done well along me. You, he's such a leader in the team. He's so young. Was he 23? And you can see how vocal he is on the pitch as well. And I think that is also good as well. He's, you know, I know Chris Hanks, I know Chris Carpenter hates this word, but he shows passion. Like he really, really does. Like he will, if a defender's done wrong, he will tell the defender what for. And I think his interaction with the fans as well is just brilliant. And when you see him, interviewing like, after the games, you can just see that he's just almost in awe of being Arsenal's number one goalkeeper. He's, like, he's just almost like he can't believe it. And I think he feels every week that he has to prove something. Every week he has to prove just how good he is and the faith that Mikel Arteta has put in him. I mean, Danny, when you heard that we were signing Ramsdale, what was your thoughts towards it? I wasn't happy, not because of Ramsdale, but because it was players that you needed in, in what order. I wanted a, a creative midfielder, someone along the lines of Erdegaard, and then um, I wanted a, a centre-back, and then if we needed a goalkeeper, get a goalkeeper, because we all know Leno is a really decent goalkeeper. Uh, and I tweeted at the time, if you think Leno, our, a goalkeeper, is our number one priority, then you're crazy, thinking that we wouldn't have the amount of money we did have to go and spend on transfers. And then we got White, and then we got... Um, I think we got, uh, was it White, then Ramsdale, and then Odegaard. But if it had been White, Odegaard, then Ramsdale, you wouldn't have heard me complaining because it, you don't get player of the season for two different clubs that you got relegated with. You're not a really good player. And uh, so then I, I thought, well, afterwards, yeah, because by waiting to get um, Odegaard last, Real Madrid wanted 70 million, 60 million, 50 million. We got him for, what, 35, 32 million? So not only did we get, we, we got to be saved a fortune on Odegaard. So, you know, if I, like I always say, if I knew anything about football, I wouldn't be say talking to you two. I'd be, I'd be managing uh, Barnet to the Champions League final. But it's an odd one for you, Carl. It's it's very rare that when you get uh, when you have two first team um, um, first choice goalkeepers at the club. We've had it re- twice recently in um, the eighteen nineteen season. Czech was our, our first team goalkeeper and we brought Leno in. And do you know how many games it was before Leno took over permanently as number one in the league? Surprising, Danny. Well, just like um, Leno did in this season, got smashed by Man City, got smashed by Chelsea, 2-0 and 3-2. And then it was half time during the uh, 2-0 win against Watford. So that was uh, six and a half games it took Leno to become number one and then he stayed number one and then Czech retired at the end of the season and it only took Ramsdale three games, including the loss to Chelsea and Man City again. So there are some similarities with it, but normally when you get a younger goalkeeper in, uh, as we all know, because we've been watching football for years, they, they get a couple of, they get the league run and the league cup run and the FA cup run and then they get the odd um, FA cup run. But it's strange that we've had back-to-back new goalkeepers that have come in and replaced their, their previous model so quickly. They're six I mean, and a half games. You don't spend 20-odd million on a goalkeeper for them to be the backup. We're not Chelsea. Like, we don't have that sort of money. Well, their backup is worth 75 million, wasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something like that. But, you know, we, we, we don't have the luxury of that. And I, and I said at the time that Ramsdale will be 
the first choice some point this season because you do not spend that sort of money if you think that he's not going to be number one because you would do it next season or what you'd do in place, you'd sign maybe a pre-agreement in January. But we wanted him in this season. We wanted to blood him in. And for me, that spoke a lot. So that's when I thought that, okay, you know, he, he's definitely coming in to be the number one. And I don't think Leno has done anything wrong. I mean, barring the, the Brentford game, when you look at the second goal that we conceded, you think to yourself, could he have been a little bit stronger? Is he a little bit weak? Like, again, you, you start comparing, don't you? And you look back and you think, would Ramsdale have been pushed like that and conceded a goal like that? He thinks himself he wouldn't have because he would probably would have pushed him back or his frame is that big, he wouldn't have been allowed to be pushed. So, I mean, Leno has, has done well for us. I mean, he's, I think Leno is a good shot stopper. I think when he's, his reactions are absolutely brilliant, he showed in the Leeds game, um, you know, he hasn't played a game for ages and he made some really good saves in the League Cup game against Leeds. And, He's going to make someone a very good goalkeeper somewhere. He's, he's more than like he's going back to Germany, isn't it? Because I can't see him. He he looks like someone who would have been homesick and there's no reports of him actually being it. But, you know, it's it just shows that we need to constantly improve. Just because you are the number one doesn't mean you should be the number one. And I think the fact that Ramsdale has come in and just made that number one his own is, is just absolutely brilliant. For me, at least, anyway, I think you have to look at the squad as a whole and it's good that no one gets too comfortable. I mean, that is a, a big thing, that no one should almost expect to always play every single game. And granted, there are people in our squad who think they should play every game, but you should always have good, healthy competition. And that's what makes players, for me, better. True. Yeah, 100%. Do you know what's interesting? Well, firstly, the most interesting thing I find about Ramsdale is he's from Stoke. I didn't think that they they bred actual human beings that could turn into footballers in Stoke. Do you think so it's so good because he's got six fingers? <laughs> that must be it. That must be it. But for me, what I think was interesting is in the Leeds game, I watched Leno once, maybe twice, ping those type of low balls into one of the front men. And I'd never seen Leno do that before. I also saw Rob Holding drive the ball out of defence. I've never seen him do that before. So I just wonder if some of these players are taking it on board that they've lost their place and they're like, okay, what do I have to do to get into the team? I'm going to have to do a little bit of what he's doing. So maybe this is actually improving Leno and maybe the competition of someone like Leno can actually therefore improve Ramsdale as well. So that's a good thing. He's got to make the most of it this year because as you said, Carl, I think Leno, well, we all think Leno will be gone. So, you know, he's got to get a lot of that formative of establishing themselves as Arsenal number one. And then when we get to the summer next year, we need a proper number two. Because as much as this uh, Arthur Conkro, I think his name is, is um, highly rated, um, I'm not sure that he's going to be ready to step up into the reserve team goalkeeper slot as we have at the moment. And we all know Ronison's nowhere near that. We saw pre-season, didn't we? Especially the game against Hibs that he definitely isn't ready. No. No, I definitely agreed. Um, but I'm going to look forward at the moment and then look towards the Watford game, uh, which is on Sunday at two o'clock. Um, Chris, what kind of team do you think that you'll see in that game? I think he's going to go 
exactly the same team as he did against um, Leicester. I think mainly because you don't change a, a winning formation. And I think he's also, I think he's realised he's touched on something by having Aubameyang and Lacazette um, so close to each other. Watford are an interesting team, though, because they kind of, against Southampton, they lost 1-0 at home. Um, they went 4-4-1-1. So a similar sort of setup to us with Jao Pedro just behind King. So I'm wondering if Ranieri does the same thing again or whether or not he flips it a little bit. If they go, if they match us up, then I'd fancy our chances because Southampton went 4-4-2. Um, I think they went with Ings and Armstrong up top and they absolutely battered Watford. It really did. I think um, Hassan Hurtle said, Afterwards, you know, we should have been a few goals up by half time. They gave them a proper pasting. So if I'm Arteta, I'm picking the same team. So that's you know, Ramsdale, back five, Ramsdale, um, Tomiyasu, White, Gabriel, uh, Tavares. You put, you're telling Tavares, get in behind, get in behind on that left hand side. Lukonga and Party in the middle. You play Smith Rowe um, and Saka either side of Lacazette and then Aubameyang up top and tell him to do exactly the same thing. Start hard, start fast, see if you can get a goal, but don't do what we did against Palace, which is get a goal and sit back and hold them off. Watford don't, um, they're not the same team as Palace. They don't press as high as Palace. Um, they're, I think they're one of the lowest possession teams in the league. So they're going to give us the ball. You know, they've, they make more headed part, they make more headed passes than any other team other than Burnley and Brentford. So what Watford are going to do is they're going to try and catch them counter. They're going to try and go high. They're going to try and, well, I don't really know what they're going to try and do because they're not a possession team and they're not a pressing team. Um, they've got 18, they've conceded 18 goals in 10 games. You know, they're conceding nearly two goals a game. So for us, if we can get those two goals early, start hard, start fast, my hope is that it can be a nice, easy afternoon. But it's Arsenal and life is never easy as an Arsenal fan. <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree with you there, um, Danny. We we Chris touched on Tavares playing. If Kieran Tierney's fit, do you bring the back into the squad, or do you uh, make Tavares keep his spot? No, uh, we have seen that we relied far too often in the Emery and the Arteta era. We have seen that we rely on one style of play, one player. And we we burnt out Tierney, everything down the left-hand side. That's all we were having for him for game after game. And for, at first it was working. That game in the snow, absolutely stunning. He could he wants to get that game framed and have put permanently playing on his wall in, in his, his Scottish castle, wherever he, he lives. But having, I thought, Tavares, or Tavares, I think is how you say it, because uh, Tom keeps saying it, that I think that he showed so much more than tyranny, and who'd have thought we'd, we'd say, "Well, we've got someone who plays a more uh, um, a more expansive game of football rather than tyranny." I love him; he's fantastic. But all tyranny does is he run down and then crosses to nobody regularly. Not always his fault; it's probably what, what doing what he's been told to do. But when Tavares is doing that, there is just, just seems to be an extra element to his game, a little bit more creativity, a little bit. Um, maybe he's a little bit faster, his passing's a little bit better. I, d- I just feel at the moment, don't bring Tierney back too soon because he's given so much for the club for the last two years. Give him a, a bit of a rest and, and uh, we've got someone there who's more than capable. And when you're a young man like Tavares and you've got all that energy and, and all that, um, that that passion to just keep going forward over and over and over, the commentators were saying, wow, what a player. And him, along with him and Laconga. Uh, again, it's just weird that normally these young men will come in and they'll take six months before they're playing anywhere near the first team in the Premier League. 
but they're they're playing so soon already. Chris, it looks like you want to say something there. Yeah, sorry. I was just going to say, just kind of backing out your point on, I'm not going to say Tavares. I'm going to say Tavares because I don't know <laughs> name. But you know what I think it is? Because he's more right-footed than Tierney, he comes inside a little bit more, doesn't he? And so I wonder yeah. if because he's confident to come inside a little bit more, that's probably why he doesn't go down the outside and just look for a cut ball back in. Because we don't really have the centre-forward that's going to get on the end of those. You know, we haven't signed Dominic Calvin-Lewin yet. So, you know, getting those Tierney crosses in to somebody like Aubameyang is less relevant. But I just, just to back up your point, I think Tavares um, is, uh, is probably, because he's more comfortable on his right foot, he's happy to come inside a little bit. And so therefore his, you know, his weapons aren't just beat the man down the line. So we have that with Saka and Pepe as well, don't we? They're playing on the wrong foot, on the wrong wing, and it's working brilliantly for those. We saw against Leicester the number of times that Saka would just go on his other foot. And then you, as, as a defender, you're going to be going, well, this bloke's as, as, as quick as lightning. I don't know whether he's going to go on his natural foot or he's going to go on the foot according to what side he's playing on. And that causes people so much trouble, doesn't it, Carl? But it's just a magnificent... Would you, Carl, would you... Try and, would you bring Kieran Tierney? Kiri Tierney, oh, the Scottish bloke, back as soon as possible? I think Chris touched on it when he said, don't disrupt a winning team. Yeah. So at the moment, we've got the momentum of you know, the first team playing as it is and we're winning, they're finding their feet. So for me, I, I wouldn't at the moment. I would, maybe Tierney needs a rest as well. Like maybe he just needs, uh, he's very injury prone, we know this. And so maybe he just needs maybe two or three weeks out just to do nothing. I mean, he's going to be going away with Scotland, isn't he? Um, or which he plays next centre back of a back three with him. Yeah, so he's going to be going away with Scotland next week, and maybe just say, okay, you know what, we'll build you up. Um, you can go away with Scotland, fresh, not have many um, miles or many minutes in your legs, and then come back and get ready for the uh, Liverpool. I think it is when we when we come back from um, international break. Oh joy! But yeah, um, so that, for me, come. No, I was just saying for me, I wouldn't bring straight back into the squad. Would you bring him straight back in, Chris? Oh, it's Carl's um, question. I shouldn't really ask you that. Carl, ask Chris. <laughs> yeah, what Danny said. <laughs> um, no, I, I wouldn't. Um, I would be, uh, yeah, I'd just echo what I've already said, which is if you stick to the winning team, I'm not sure he's fully fit either. Um, and we don't need him to be... Um, we don't need him to be fully fit at the moment. We can just sort of rest him. We can rest that period. I mean, I'm like you, Carl. I'm looking at that Liverpool game and... Although what I would say is I was about to say I'm, I'm looking at it with trepidation. But two weeks ago, I was looking at it with fear. Now I'm looking at it going, yeah, but what if? What if we actually go there with this team and they've beaten Watford and they've beaten them comprehensively? You know, hopefully, fingers crossed. You know, what, what happens if we've got a team that's full of confidence? We've got a, a team that's built from the back forward. In other words, you've got the likes <laughs> You need one of these, Carl. You need one of these and you don't have to keep leaning forward. For the benefit oh. of people listening, there's a back scratcher that is in vision. Because <laughs> Carl's camera keeps um, crime watching him. It keeps um, blurring him out for, for legal purposes. <laughs> Racist. Why did I say crime watch, bastard? Um, but yeah, like, <laughs> I echo what, uh, what definitely all Chris said. So um, what do we think... About a, um, a prediction, because I always think Watford, oh, I don't want to play Watford. But the last three times we played them at home was uh, July last year, uh, 3-2, Young, KT and Young. Um, 
September 2018, 2-0, own goal and some bloke called Ozil, never heard of him. And then March 2018, 3-0, Mustafi, Alba and Mkhitaryan. Chris, what are you going to go for? I think we'll win. I, I'm i really hoping that it's going to, I'm hoping this is not going to bite me on the arse, but I think we're going to keep a clean sheet as well. I've got a weird feeling it's going to be one of those 2 nillers, And I've got a feeling that we might score early. And then it might just be a little bit of huff and puff to get the second. It feels to me like one of those games where we score early in the first 15 minutes and then we all think, oh, this is going to be a lot of fun. We'll give them a battering today. A bit like what happened in the Palace game. But Palace came back. My hope is that Watford don't. And it'll be one of those second half, 60, 65 minutes. You get the goal and then you have a nice little sing song as we see the uh, end of the game out. Good. Carl, did you know that Watford's last five Premier League home away wins under five different managers sounds wow. very spursy doesn't it that's uh quite shocking to be honest and about your prediction i think we're gonna win i'm not sure how much by but i i do think we definitely will win i said um the other day that every home game should be a win bare minimum don't care who it is. i genuinely don't care who it is Arsenal should win all their home games. Because um, I know that Mikel Arteta's home record is quite atrocious. It is really quite bad. But uh, we, we've, got, we've got to win the home games. I, I just think that, especially a team like Watford, a newly promoted team coming to the Emirates, and they're still trying to find their feet under their new manager. Yes, uh, Renieri came in and they've, they tried to have a new manager bounce and they got spanked by Liverpool and then obviously they beat Everton and then drew... They lost to Southampton, didn't they? Did they beat yeah. Southampton? Yeah, they yeah, lost to Southampton. So that's like two two losses, one win. And I think coming to Arsenal, they, you know, is Ranieri going to be thinking to himself, oh yeah, we can uh, take it to Arsenal here. But no, they shouldn't. They shouldn't. We should spank them we technically should I mean they have got some good players as well and especially players like Ishmael Asar who is how we still at Watford I, I, I don't know I really don't understand um, I thought a team would definitely have come in for him uh, by now but he's still there and he's a player that definitely scares me but apart from maybe one or two players in the Watford team I don't think there's much to worry about famous last words obviously but well, there's no uh, Troy Deeney that's the only one ever worried me. No, he took his cojones to Birmingham. But, um, yeah, I, I... We should win. I'm going for... I'm going for 3-0. Like, I'm genuinely going for 3-0. I think we do have it about us. I think we definitely... You know, we've had a four weeks rest. You know, we've had time to build up our strength and our confidence on the training pitch and... Yeah, I, I don't see any reason why we shouldn't win this game. The only person, the only reason why Arsenal don't win this game will be Arsenal. That, they're the only reason why we don't win this game. It's not a case of Watford beating us. A case of Arsenal just being Arsenal, like Chris said, going one new up and thinking, "Oh, the game's won. We're going to sit back and then Watford growing into confidence into the game and then beating us." Or you know, it's just something that we can't do. We have to keep going for the throat. Every time we score, thinking it's still nil-nil, we need to win this game again. We need to go score another one. It's two-nil, we need to score another one. But you know, football's um, a very weird sport. But 
It's a we'll funny old game. Is, as they say, where's your bell? You need to, where's uh, Mike's bell? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say, Carl, that I think against Leicester, we saw that we went 1-0 up and kept going and going and going, and we did it against Leeds, and we did it against Villa. Um, so I think hopefully that Arteta may have slightly evolved there like a, like a Spanish Pokemon, and we may <laughs> now realise that, that, that you don't sit back on a 1-0 lead. I'm going to go 4-0. Uh, uh, the tinker man will tinker, and we will smash them because I hate Watford. Watford are one of those clubs like Watford, West Brom, Fulham, Norwich, constantly up and down. It just it just annoys me. I was going to fuck around in my lights then, but I'm not going to now. Um, I want to quickly, if nobody has finished talking on that part, um, everyone keeps going on about the Africa. Have you, have you both finished on the the Leicester game? Do you know what? I was just going to mention one more thing. One of the uh, one of the benefits that we've got for the whole week off is that Mikel Arteta will have been able to get the step ladders out and just peer over the hedges <laughs> to see what they're doing, how they're how they're lining up. So he's got no excuses from that perspective. You now, and I've just mentioned as well, you've got the third best home record yeah. in, the, in the league so far. Um, I mean, granted, it's only five games, but we are behind Chelsea and Man City in terms of our home form. Played through, played five, won three, drawn one lost one, nine goals scored, six against. So we are on 10 points along with City. And then you've got Liverpool on nine points. You've got Tottenham on nine points. You've got Everton on nine points. So we're not doing too bad at home. Um, and Watford's away form is an interesting one because Watford are um, pretty good away from home. They're about mid-table-ish. They've, uh, they've won two, lost three. They've got a plus one goal difference. They've scored eight and conceded seven, although five of those were against Everton. So, yeah, interesting. <laughs> AFCON. Yes. Uh, were you going to say something there, Carl? Like you, uh... No, I was going to say, I said that on Monday about um, him peering over and looking at the training. It's, it's so weird that the training grounds back onto each other. I think the drones... Will oh, be I didn't know here, that. Definitely. I didn't get the relevance of it. I think, you, yeah, Arsenal's, no. Arsenal's training ground and Watford's training ground back onto each other. Oh, dear. So it's I think the same since we left London, Colney. Um, the drones out and... Uh, yeah. I'm convinced... I'm convinced when Danny Welbeck left us and joined Watford, it was because he didn't want to move house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, is it Brighton? That's a bit more of a drive. Right, African Cup of Nations. I hear everybody talking about it, and I never hear the information I want to hear. So, people, bookmark this bit. This is all the information you're ever going to need, and I'm going to do it in three and a half minutes. It's from the 9th of January to the 6th of February. It's 24 teams. Whether it's going to be cancelled, Tom says if the, I don't know who's hosting, I'm thinking maybe Cameroon are hosting it. Tom says that if Cameroon don't host it, then South Africa will host it. They're not going to not have it. So, Obama Young plays for the Gabon, and they have three games, 10th of Jan, 14th of Jan, 18th of Jan. Party for Ghana, 10th of Jan, 14th of Jan, 18th of Jan. El Neni, Egypt, 11th of Jan, 15th of Jan, and the 18th of Jan. And then Pepe, the Ivory Coast, the 12th, the 16th, and the 20th of January. One game to look out for is going to be on the 14th of January. It's going to be Ghana v Gabon, which is going to be a Bamiyang versus party. I've asked somebody, I asked on Twitter, and somebody who watches it said, expect a Bamiyang's Gabon to get knocked out in the groups, not make it past the group stages. Ghana maybe get out in the group stages, but Egypt and the Ivory Coast are the two that are, uh, that are some of the favourites and they're probably going to get to the semi-finals. And so really, hopefully, if they're going by what that person said, Obama Young's last game is on the 18th of January. I don't know how um, uh, he, how much they're going to have to stay at home um, on under lockdown or how many tests you've got to have. 
but he could be back for maybe the 20th, 21st of January, the same as party if, if they don't get knocked out much further. The next round is the round of 16 from the 23rd to the 26th of January. And then the quarterfinals are the 29th and 30th of January. The semifinals is the 2nd and 3rd of February. And the third place playoff and the final are both on the 6th of February. So it looks like the important players for us, Party and Aubameyang, we may get them back by the if, if not the twenty the twentieth of January, a couple of days to come home, then it's going to be the twenty sixth of January. So most of January is going to be ruled out for those two. Anyone got a point that I want to make about that? Yeah, I think it's it's a bit scary, isn't it? If they if some of these go deep into the competition, and it's a bit sad that we're basically uh, as football fans <laughs> looking at a competition doom. like this and wishing them doom. But <laughs> It's, a, it's stupid that they play that competition then anyway. I don't know why they don't play it um, in the summer. I think they're moving it after this year to a summer schedule anyway, um, which, again, will be interesting, um, particularly with the heat and stuff like that. But I, yeah, I'm just hoping that they stay in one piece and they all get knocked out and can come home safely to us. Hopefully, <laughs> and not contract malaria. Hopefully, Aubameyang will get sent off in the first game, be banned for the next two, and then they're out. <laughs> or him and Party have a fight in the second game, and they both get banned and sent home. Then we could have them back by the 15th of January. Carl? Fake party. <laughs> I think, do you know what? Like, like Chris said, I think it's absolutely ridiculous that they have it during the, the quote-unquote winter months. But the World Cup is in the winter months, so, you know, football is absolutely crazy. It's a funny old sport, as Danny said, ding. Like... Um, it would be interesting that if the World Cup, if Arsene Wenger does get his own way and has the World Cup every two years, how the African Cup of Nations go, because he'll obviously have to run concurrent to when they have the Euros if Arsene Wenger gets his own way. So, you know, we'll see. But it is it is very silly that, you know, you lose our players in the middle of the season to go away. I think it's just, yeah, just ridiculous. Um, it's not like it's um, where in... Uh, most of their best players of the best teams are all playing on a European calendar anyway. It's not like they have to accommodate it for their domestic league, which they may well have done by not playing um, playing it now and not in the summer. Like we play, the rest of the world play the big tournaments. But um, I, I think only when you get down to the uh, the lower echelons of the rankings of the, the African teams will you find the majority of their players will be playing in the, their home countries in Africa. I mean, look at Egypt. Their, their, their best their best two players El Nenny is the best and uh, that bloke at Liverpool the Egyptian Walcott they're both playing in the Premier League <clears throat> and even back in the days when we had loads of wonderful African players like we had um, Kanu and Lauren and Toure uh, yeah Toure and, and there's loads of them we used to have um, sad we don't have any Nigerian or Cameroonian ones anymore because uh, back in the day they were the best ones the Super Eagles so um yeah I think oh, that if, if you look if, if I think if you look at it we're gonna have a really torrid January. I think it's yeah. because Especially if, if you look at the, if you look at the squad, you are looking at Granite Xhaka uh and Lokonga being the midfield when, too. When maybe Xhaka back? I'm sure it's late December. Oh. So that might be good. And even if he has in and you think to yourself, if he has a setback, you're looking at Ainsley Maitland-Niles and Lokonga in certain midfield playing potentially against Manchester City. Nobody wants that. Nobody at all in the world wants to see that. So, you know, it's 
it's worrying um, to see our squad be so depleted, especially losing a bumming as well. Like nobody wants to lose um, a bumming either. Pepe, although he may be not first team, you still want him in the squad and nobody wants to lose him um, at such a crucial time of the season. And it's, I do worry for Arsenal a little bit just in that period of time because if we do have a poor run of form, it's going to take a lot to get our confidence back. 100% it's going to take um, quite a lot. So, you know, it, it's worrying. And I don't think we're going to, I personally don't think we're going to bring anyone in on loan. Just because I just can't... I don't see the Sabios' links. I saw that as well. And when I saw that, I thought, come on now. No way, uh, Dad. I've never had, games. that I know, a player spent three spells at Arsenal. We've had loads. I've had two spells, Lukic and Lehman and Campbell and uh, Keown and um, Sabios has had two. Odegaard's had two. We don't want, if we're going to get a third, I'd rather get Henri on loan than get Sabios back. But can you? How many times has he played for Real Madrid this season? If probably at all? none. Like, I don't think he's played for Real Madrid this season. So why would we bring him back? I, I can't see it. But we have options. I mean, if you wanted to play Odegaard in the middle of the park, you possibly could. So there are options there. And we were saying offline is that Jack Wilshire seems to be in loads and loads of training pictures and they're making a point as well as putting them in the pictures as well maybe for the fans maybe not so you know Tobias has played zero no games at all so we can't we Mm -hmm. can't bring him over no way and like I said I know that Jack Wilshire nobody really wants to re-sign him but if you give him a short term six month deal and say do you know what Jack you are going to hear to cover for the African Cup of Nations and maybe the FA Cup games, depending on how far we get and who we get. We are under no obligation to sign you, like maybe even a pay, um, a pay-by-play sort of situation. He's probably paid for a pound a game. And I, I can see that happening. I can, just for cover as well. Not, And you, you make it clear to him and you say, we are no way going to re-sign you we're not going to give you a, a longer deal don't give him a downer don't, don't give him a game with one hand and slap him with the other so no, you but you say, you say to him you know, we'll give you we'll give you a six month contract to the end of the season and you'll and give you don't, don't, don't make him sad by saying you've got no chance ever Bang oh, he he's good. <laughs> but you know as, as long as much as I people may you know not want that to happen it kind of makes just a little bit of sense. Yeah, I agree. Just for, just for cover, not to, for anything else. He knows the system. Be, he knows the club. He knows the manager. He knows some of the he's players. He's been training with them. He's been training with them for all. six months. Mm. So, yeah, it, it does make sense. Chris, what do you think to that? Uh, I, I can't I can't see it and I'm not sure how it would work because we're talking about basically the pinnacle of elite football and you're talking about a player that hasn't actually played in a competitive football match for by the time we get to January, it'd be over a year. Like he's been out of contract. He Bournemouth didn't re-sign him. He's not been injured. So this isn't an injury thing. I'm just not sure that he has got the body and whether he's, he, he can regain the type of player and a, a type of the style of player that he is. I just, I can't see it. I mean, I love him to bits. I'd love to see a triumphant return and for him to get some game time. But you can't, like, 
Premier League football is just so far beyond the reaches of most people and the the margins that exist within Premier League football and elite football are such that I just can't see but putting a sentiment aside I, I think it's just really I'm sorry to be a bit downer here but I just don't I don't see it being something that's really feasible um even saying to him well we'll give you a basic sort of salary and then a pay as you play because that's how they tend to work it, it's not like when if you make an appearance then you get all of your money they tend to pay them something and then they top it up don't they but i you know how's that going to work he's not going to put him in ahead of maitland niles he's not going to put him in ahead of longonga if granite jack is back he's not going to put him in either so he's then basically fourth maybe fifth choice he probably wouldn't play any football at all unless we we get a as i said early on a farnborough town in the third round of the fa cup and even then you're talking about just one game and it's like almost can we cope without him? So again, I'd like to reiterate, love Jack Wilshire like every Arsenal fan. I love that he's been pictured with the club. I love that he, he that the club offered him the opportunity to keep, keep his fitness going and things like that. But I don't see a Sol Campbell or Jens Lehmann triumphant return, if I'm honest. And I apologise for making you both look very sad now. <laughs> well, he's, he's no, I mean... on New Year's Day and his last game was for it was Brentford's one nil um, home loss in the it was uh, Brentford Bournemouth's one nil home win against Brentford in the Championship playoff. We played nine minutes, and that was on the seventeenth of uh, May this year. Yeah, seventeenth of May in twenty twenty one, which I thought, but his last league game before that was on like you were saying the fifth of January. So, so then, why have Bournemouth not offered him a new deal? And they got and they're in the, and they're playing in the Championship. That's the other thing that makes me think: why did they not offer? Him I think something? it was the manager who brought him in, wanted him, and then they changed managers, and that's why he didn't play. Right. Okay. I mean, Fair was enough. it? Oh, I can't remember who it was. They've been uh, about a couple of managerial changes since it was um, um, Eddie Howe. But that is a bit weird. That is the gap between the game was the first of uh, the fifth of. Oh no, first of May in the league. Yeah, I was they put five one twenty-one. No, so in, in the standard league season it was the first of May. And then the playoffs it was the seventeenth of May. Bloody hell. I mean, more than that, he's probably injured in that time. I mean Oh no, the one in the league, the last game of the season of the standard season, the 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 first of May, he played the full ninety minutes as they lost one nil to the mighty Wickham, who I think got relegated. <laughs> oh god. Probably why. Um, but looking at our midfield options, there are definitely other options there. I mean, like you were saying, Chris, about putting Jack up ahead of other people, you still got um, Charlie Patino like, in the under-23s. He's absolutely tearing it up. And, we, you know, we always talk about stopping people's development, you know, and would you think about even promoting him ahead of Jack Wilshire, but he obviously needs game. It just seems that every single time that we play a League Cup game, he's injured and he doesn't seem to get the opportunity in the first team. Because I think most fans are kind of itching to see how he is in the Arsenal squad. Well, on the on the um, two days, no, yesterday, we played in the played Plymouth Argyle in the uh, Football League Trophy, whatever it's called now. And I'm just looking at the lineups there. Um, he didn't play. No, Charlie Patino didn't play. Drew one one away, injured. and Balogun scored, and then we um, we lost on penalties. So we're out, uh, and sadly, 
Yes. A bit weird that uh but a young player we have got coming through is that um the bloke from Plymouth, uh Beareth. He's in he's in England in the um youth international. But some of these players that are playing in midfield, we're playing some weird formations and none of these players jump out to me as we've got to start playing those. But I think like you're saying with Wilshire, Wilshire's maybe a little bit past it. I think Patino's not ready for it yet because there's been two or three chances this season where Arteta could have played him in the League Cup games and he hasn't. I'm sure that he knows better than us. Mm. The thing is as well is that you're chucking a pl- him into the like the engine room of a football team, aren't you? Because he's not going to play in a number 10 role because we've already got no. enough of those. He's going to play alongside a Laconga or a Xhaka. And Xhaka and Wilshire, that doesn't scream pace, does it? It screams experience, <laughs> but it doesn't scream pace. So you're taking so you're taking another option away if you don't play Sambi. But then if you play Sambi and Wilshire, does Wilshire have the same distribution as Granite Xhaka? I mean, he's probably got the same mobility as Granite Xhaka, even if he's 30 and hasn't played for a year. And it's probably been McDonald's every <laughs> odd day. Because let's be honest, Granite Xhaka is not the most mobile of people. But... Granite Xhaka has been playing at that top level, and I don't know. Don't know. Uh, right. Um, we're going to I mean, talk also, Sorry, I should say, mention Miguel Aziz up at um, Portsmouth, or down at Portsmouth, as you say. Uh, he's not getting hardly any game time at all. It's kind of worrying to think to yourself, you, you send a player out on loan, and they're not really playing. Are they really up to it? Is it a case of um, the manager doesn't like him? Should we think about recalling him and bringing him back, sort of back home? You got to wonder why they're not playing it because maybe he's just too good for them or doesn't fit in with them or uh, you never know. When we have got such a terrible history of loaning players out and then them spending the entire season doing absolutely nothing. I was just going to say it's like an every situation where the manager doesn't see how good he is and doesn't think he's good. Yeah. But again, Portsmouth are where are they in the league? They are 14th in League R. Um, they've won five, drawn five, lost six, scored 19, conceded 21. So you wouldn't really think it'd be that hard for a Premier League player to, to slot in there somewhere. Has he played any actual games this season? No, oh. He's played 76 minutes. I think he's uh, one started one and one sub. And whereas their player who's played the most has played 1,300 minutes. Uh, yeah, so that's that's know. worrying. Surely Miguel, Miguel, Mikel Arteta must be on the phone saying, you know, what's going on? Play him or he's coming home. You might as well put him in the under 23s if you just uh, sit him on your bench and do nothing with him. Oh, sorry, Danny, I interrupted you. You were going to... No, that's all right. I say we've been going an hour and 20 minutes now, so we're going to talk about the strikers, but we'll save that for another week. Should we talk about the um, Arsene Wenger documentary? Yes. I mean, uh, I watched it today. We Obviously, at Burkamp Wonderland, we get exclusive footage. You know, we get invited to all the premieres. Red I did ask them why, they, why they sent it to us. <laughs> <laughs> But I did watch it and I'm not going to ruin it for everyone because, you know, I won't want to, to watch it. And it was, it was really, it was better than his book, put it that way. I think it, was, it gave more insight to uh, what he was thinking than his book ever did because I thought his book was absolutely rubbish, I'll be very honest with you. But um, 
it's a really, really good documentary. And I, and I sat there kind of in awe. It's one of the ones where you know what's going to happen. You, are, you, you know, we all lived it. We all, it's like watching the 89 documentary. You know what's going to happen, but you, you watch it thinking, oh my God, that is such, it's so tense. And mm-hmm. Arsene Wenger definitely gave insight into just some of the things that he did or some of the things that he was feeling. And there was, there was I haven't shared it with you, Danny, and I'll talk to you afterwards, but there was one thing he said at the end when I was just like, yeah. wow. What well, the Ferguson um, said? That and also something he said about his return to Arsenal. Yeah. And I was just like, oh. Both made me think. The Wenger's one made me feel very sad. And for the Ferguson one made me think, well, that's bloody decent of you. Yeah, I think, and I worked with saying, it's so nice to see that during the rivalry, Alex Ferguson, sorry, Alex Ferguson and Arsene Wenger, it, it was, you know, they, they wanted to hit each other. And I think there was a true rivalry there, which is the reason why sort of my generation hates Manchester United, because when I was coming up, obviously you hate Tottenham, definitely. And Manchester United were the second team that you hated. Um, obviously, after that, you had Chelsea and probably Stoke because of the way they used to kick us. But um, for me... Manchester United and the team that I actually hate, but to see them two now really, really sort of speak so highly of each other. I think it's it's like really nice. Bank and Nigel Ben hugging. Yeah, like it's <laughs> it's really nice to see, and I, I definitely would encourage everyone to go and see it or watch it where, however you can, because it really, like I said, everyone knows what's going to happen in it, like. <laughs> But just the things that they speak about and the invincible season for me, I remember um, I'd literally, I'd left college and it was just before I started uh, to go work We're for London. journeys to work. Yeah, it's just before I did. It's just before I started London Underground and I was contemplating um, going to university and I remember that I was just so, that was when I was really, really in love with Arsenal. The camera's got I was really, really in love with Arsenal. And for me, it was, I remember game by game, as the season went on, thinking, are we going to go unbeaten? You know, after Christmas, you know, thinking to yourself, oh, we still haven't lost a game yet. And, and then we had that horrible, horrible April where we lost to Man United in the um, FA Cup and then we lost to Chelsea in the Champions League. And that year we 100% should have won the Champions League that year because I think that's the year that Porto won it. And if we had beat, I reckon if we had beat Porto, Jose Mourinho would not be the person he is today. No way would he be that person. Well, Chelsea because... wouldn't have given him the job, did he? And we saw that Chelsea did exactly the same thing with the um, the other Portuguese bloke who, who won the Euro- the Europa League or whatever it was. Only, only gave him a job and both of them only got, got Spurs jobs because they had the Chelsea job. Yeah, I mean, for me, it, for me, it was, you know, that that season we really should have won the Champions League because I reckon we would have beat Monaco in the um, in the semi-finals where Chelsea lost to them and obviously Porto. My camera is having an absolute barney today, but um, standard yeah. camera is it part of your shitty Apple Mac? It's a standard. Maybe I should use the um, the Apple one. Mm. Um, while you're fiddling with that, a bit of information about it. It's called 
Arsene Wenger, Invincible. It is uh, available in cinemas from the 11th of November. Blu-ray, digi- DVD and digital download from the 22nd of November. A little bit of uh, information here. It says, Arsene Wenger, Invincible, the definitive portrait of one of the greatest football managers of all time. Comes to cinemas from November the 11th. I read that bit. Available on pre-order from Amazon. It's well worth it. Courtesy of Noah Media Group, the creators of some of the most acclaimed feature-length sports documentaries in recent years, Finding Jack Charlton, that made me very sad. Bobby Robson, More Than a Manager, that made me very sad. The Edge, I don't know. Steve McQueen, Le Mans, The Man and Le Mans, I didn't watch. I don't like Le Mans. Um, That's not good. I'm reading their blurb and I'm scratching my nose because my moustache is tickling me comes the very first um, documentary about Wenger in his told in his own words now like Carl said it was uh, you see Arsene Wenger's book which was which was pointless and I watched this and there was footage I've never seen before Wenger is walking around the village that he grew up in he's going to the family home he's going to the family camp pub cafe restaurant place talking to family members talking about his early days as a player and then going over to um, when his time at Monaco, little bits from there, then Nagoya Grand Passe, and then when he came to – there was stuff in there I had no idea about, like when all the pre- he had to do a press conference because they thought that he'd been sacked or resigned after a certain amount of time. I'm not going to give any of it away. But the video of it is fantastic. The way he's talking is fantastic. And they do this one part where they have a massive big – um, a projection of the games and it'll be a screen that is five meters by three meters like a four by three ratio so it'll be four meters by three and then you have asked that that is in the one end of the studio a blackened out studio Arsene Wenger is sitting on a bar stool about two meters in front of it well it's two meters in front of him and then we are the camera's right at the very back of the studio and you see Wenger in portrait as you see Bergkamp going to take in his penalty all the real key moments in Arsene Wenger's career they have him doing that and he gets up from the chair and he walks around, he crouches down. And at one point, well, I won't tell you what happens. At one point you go, oh, he's not happy about that. And then the clips, they've got Arsene Wenger obviously talking. You've got Ferguson, Petit, Vieira, Henri, Wright. Um, Bergkamp is talking, which is something you very rarely see. And there was uh, the only bit I didn't like is there had a couple of bits where DT was talking from AFTV, just showing what a scumbag he is. Luckily, there was no video of that. But it is, it's an hour and a half long. I was, I thought, it's half past 11. I watched half hour of it and then I'm going to go to bed. I watched the entire thing, didn't realize that. I didn't know how long it was. And I watched the entire thing. And then it was one o'clock and I thought, if I've got time to watch this again. And I never watch stuff again. This is on the same level as the Amy Lawrence 89. Where you watch it and you, you it's fun, the video in the interviews, everything is is perfect, and I, I might even watch it again tonight. I don't know how long our preview lasts for, and I'm going to share it with Chris. I forgot to give it to Chris before the um to, before we knew his Chris was coming on the show a few days ago. And I should have given it to you, Chris. So, you got any questions about it that we don't want to give too much away? But <laughs> no, I mean I'm I'm similar story to uh, Carl when it comes to the that invincible era. I just remember I was at university in 2001 to 2004. I was in the northwest, so you know that hotbed of football. Man United fans, Liverpool fans. I remember Liverpool fan coming up to me and saying, "You," he sort of wagging his finger and saying, 
you know, you need to embrace this now because your football team won't be this good forever. And my response was, nah, Arsene Wenger's the greatest manager ever. <laughs> and just walked off and that was it. And at the naive age of 21, when you're just watching your, it was my third and final year at uni as we were doing the Invincible year, you know, just every game was, how much are we going to win by today? He didn't win all of them. Of course, we drew 10 games, but, you know, we knew that that, that team was just something else. It was, it's uh, Archie's Sorry, Ben, go on. go on. No, I was going to say, I no, I was say, gonna say they go to their website, which is arsonvengafilm.com, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It's all at Venga Film. But go and, go and get it, people. You will not dis- be disappointed. And they're giving us absolutely nothing for this because, you know, ABW take nothing from anybody. We we promote stuff just because it's nice. And we've always done that. And if anyone's ever got anything, um, then... Just uh, if they want to give something away, they do, or they let us watch the video early, and that's more than enough. So we're not getting paid to say any of this, Carl. I was gonna say I won't put you on the spot now, but what both you and Chris, what was your favourite moment from that oh three oh four season? I mean, for me, there was there was loads. There obviously springs to mind us actually winning at. Uh, the dirty, dirty White Hart Lane. That was obviously, you can't get any better than winning the league title at your ground. But for me, again, uh, again but for me, uh, though that was absolutely brilliant, the best thing about that season was after we had that torrid April, and we did, it was an absolutely horrible April. And I was going regularly. I, I went to, to most of those games and the FA Cup games. I, went, I was away at Villa Park, so I was there for most of that stuff. And I remember us losing to Man United and um, us losing to Chelsea in, in the Champions League. But for me, the moment of that season, us, us beating Liverpool at home 4-2. You know, we were 2-1 down at half-time. You know, the unbeaten, um, the unbeaten t- um, result was on the line. It was on the line. We were losing to Liverpool at home 2-1. And that second half... We absolutely blitzed them. I don't know what happened in that dressing room at half time, but we well, they kind of Henri them. talks about that, doesn't he, in the documentary? And he kind of, yeah, he kind of says, and Wenger says what they did. I mean, you have to watch it to to get it, but you think, wow, that after what happened at half time, it must have been electric because you went out there. I was at that game, and I went out there, and I think we were two one down, like you said, and then we come back to win it four two, and then. We go undefeated in the league for the rest of the season. Well, we were undefeated anyway, but it was looking rocky a couple of times. Like we had, we'd had a draw against um, was it Bolton, and uh, the commentator says Arsenal uh, Bolton were unlucky not to take all three points from that game earlier in the season. Yeah, we definitely had opportunities where we could have thrown it, but I don't know if you had the time chance to think about it. So I go to you, Chris. What was your moment of that season? I think it's quite early on in the season, actually. So we played Liverpool away, actually. I think Bobby Perez scored a really good goal. And we followed that up by beating Chelsea. And um, it meant a lot because that was when Chelsea had just been given their money. And so it was like all of a sudden they were injecting a lot of cash into that club, that horrible, horrible oil whoring club. Um, and to me, those two results against those two teams, that was big because that was us making our stamp and saying, do you know what? We are the best team in this league and we're going to prove it to you by doing it back to back. And so that was uh, around about October time, I think it was. Um, but that to me early on set the stall out for the belief of the season 
and it just sort of went from there. And you know, there were, like I said, there were a lot of draws you know, in games. I remember, was it Fulham? Just looking, we draw home to Fulham. I feel like we did. Yeah, nil uh, nil. We got a nil nil draw against Fulham in November, and we absolutely battered them. I've never seen their, their goalkeeper make as many saves as Van der Sar that day. But um, you know, that the, that early on in the season, picking up those types of wins, that was massive. I'd say my one was the 47th minute of the last game of the season. Paul Dickoff, ex-Arsenal youth player, someone we all liked, who helped save Man City. Um, if, if he wasn't for Paul Dickoff, Man City wouldn't be where they are now. He scored the goal in the League Two playoff or the, the third-tier playoff to get Man City promoted to the championship back in the days when they had no money. Uh, he scored in the first half, Arsenal 1-0 down. Second half, I'm thinking, this is last game of the season. The amount of pressure... One, we're a half away from being invincible and we're 1-0 down already. 47th minute, Henri gets a penalty. As soon as he puts that penalty in, you think, that's it, it's all over. We've, we've done that, we're invincible. And then we end up going and winning the game 2-1. Um, I've got it open now, I can't remember who scored. The other goal it was uh, Vieira. There you go. So, Vieira scored the final goal of the invincible season and he scored the, the goal a year later that won us the FA Cup and then he, he shit on us and... Uh, and went off to to play for Inter Milan. Uh, yeah, Juventus one thing Juventus. one thing that did uh, did annoy me is um, apart from the DT bit speaking, was the players going, "Oh, I love Wenger, I love Arsenal." No, it's like having your, your favourite girlfriend and she shit on you to go and, and date some bloke called Luigi who's loaded and really bronze with lovely long hair and uh, body like a, an Adonis, and then coming back a few years later and going, "Oh, I didn't. I really love you the most." Vieira, Henri, um, Petit, Overmars, Anelka, dead to me. But they, see, they no, see, I, I've always, I've never, I've never agreed with Danny on this because uh, uh, Anelka, yes, Anelka was all about the money. He wanted to go to Real Madrid because obviously his brother was in his ear saying, you, you know, you can go and get millions and millions like playing for. Um, and um, Real Madrid, and I think Anelka would have been something different at Arsenal. I genuinely do. But saying I that, forgot he was seventeen when he was when he. When I know it's exactly. Goals. So, but we may never got on re if um, Anelka had stayed. So you know, as we keep saying, it's a funny old game. I don't know. That's that's ding ding. But um, I can't go. It's like your wife leaves you for someone really good looking, and then comes back years later and says, "Oh, but I love you the most." No, you lot, Barcelona don't give a shit about Henri. In the Milan and Juventus don't give a shit about Vieira. Barcelona definitely don't give a fuck about Overmars and Petit. They won nothing while they were there. And all these other players. Van Persie, I don't care because he was a snake. I, I'm not, I don't care that he left us. He was only good for well, five But you have to understand that these are, these are players who are playing for money. Of course they do. You can still love a club. Like I still love my job at Sainsbury's, my first job. It was one of the best jobs I ever had. I still left them. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So it, that means that means. Yeah, but nothing. do you go back into your local Sainsbury's and go and tell them how much you love them all and it was the greatest time of your life while you were there? Like these muppets do. Well, clearly not. But if there was a documentary about Sainsbury's and someone asked about my time about Sainsbury's, then I do shop at MS, it's very, very good. Um, yeah. but, but clearly, if someone's made a documentary about teenagers working in Sainsbury's, I'm going to say to them, Oh, it was the best job I ever had because it, it was one of the best jobs I ever had. I don't go back and say it all the time, but you have to understand that. You know, you can have an affiliation with the club. I mean, the way that Henri left, I mean, we don't know what happened behind closed doors, but 
that's when Arsenal had no money. We was paying for our stadium. We had literally no money. That's an, and another thing, I, think I, he, I didn't, I didn't realise until Wenger said it. The stadium was quoted at two hundred million. Ended up costing us four hundred and twenty million. He said that brokers. Yeah, of course it did. Didn't that's that. why. That's why mm. I'm happy that Spurs are probably going to go bankrupt soon. <laughs> a I, billion. I can't, <laughs> oh, I can't wait. But um, you know, you have to understand that he wanted the club to match his ambition. We just did not have the money at the time to buy players. Yeah, so but we had the players like, who could who could have stayed with us and done it. That's the bit that what? gets me. If they'd stayed, we wouldn't need new players because you fuckers are still here. There you go. Yeah, but you're forgetting these players are aging. What did Vieira leave us at? 31, 32? He's, he's 29. Was he 29? I think so, 29, 30. But he, you know, he 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 was wanting to leave Arsenal a long, long time ago and he was going to go yeah, Real Madrid this season year. before, but obviously they didn't pay him as much and he was like, okay, I'll stay. And then Juventus came in for him. You know, everything has got to end at some point. At some point, everything has got to come to an end. And, you know, there are some players who leave under a cloud, like obviously... But leave. And he was better than all of them. That's why we love Bergkamp. How many of those other fuckers have got a podcast named after him? None. Point made. So I asked a question on our on our feed. If yes. you need to run up. I'll ask you this, Chris. I'm going to put you on the spot. So happy birthday, by the way, Mr. Ian Wright, because it's his birthday today. I was going to give him a shout out. An actual show but, legend who did not um, want to leave Arsenal. I will, will mention him. But if you had to rank Henri, Bergkamp, Van Persie, and Ian Wright, in order of best players, how would you rank them? I'm going to ask you that question as well, Danny. Oh, that's hard. Okay, so I'm going to actually make Danny turn over in his non-grave here because Thierry Henry has been my favourite player of all time, hands down. His goals, his assists, um, everything about him I just loved. So he goes actually above Burkamp for me, and then Burkamp is inevitably second. It's close because... The man was a genius. Uh, uh, Van Persie gets rock bottom, yeah. um, and Ian Wright is next. So it's uh, Henri, Bergkamp, Wrighty, and then um, Van Persie. Daniel? Bergkamp, because he stayed. He was a, a better player than all of those, could do more, and he stayed. And that's what a true legend does. Ian Wright next, because he cried when he left. He didn't want to leave. Wenger did the dirty on him. Then Henri... And then Van Persie, I'm not even going to talk about that prick. He can go fuck himself. I'm not going to give him the, dig the dignity of having him in my top four. No, it's a top three only, Carl. How about yours? Can I just say, on the Ian Wright one, Yeah. so I can't remember who it was, whether it's um, whether it's David Dean or I read something that where they were talking about his transfer to West Ham because Wenger, and I think it might even be in Wenger's autobiography, I don't think he wanted Wright to go but what he said was, you're not going to play. You know, you mm. need to be my auxiliary striker. And Wrighty was just like, no, nah, I need to play. And so that's why he went to West Ham. I don't think Wenger actually wanted him to leave, but he wasn't prepared to give him the minutes on the pitch. Um, and that ultimately is what sealed the deal. So I don't know if that makes yeah. you love Wrighty more or anything like that. I can't love him anymore. Do you know, I work, I've spent ages working this out. The next season, we were magnificent in the um, 98, 99 season. We went so close to the video, as the, the documentary says. And I worked out we needed seven goals all season 
that would have made us win those competitions. So we could have done the triple and Ian Wright could have come off the bench. And if as a sub, Ian Wright could have easily or played the hand, played 10, started 10, come on as sub as another 10. Ian Wright would have got you set those seven goals that season. We didn't have anybody as good as Ian Wright to bring off the bench. And if he'd have stayed, we'd have done another double or a triple that season. Because Alex Ferguson says that if it wasn't for that FA Cup final, um, semi-final with that Giggs goal, was it that, that one, Carl? Yep. The Giggs yeah. goal in 99? Yep. He said if it wasn't for that, we would have, um, um, that wouldn't have happened. We wouldn't obviously wouldn't have won the treble. But we would have gone on, but Ian Wright should have stayed. Um, I think Ian has said recently that, or in, in, in the past, that he, looking back at it, he should have stayed. So, but no, there's nothing Ian Wright yeah. can do that not make me love him. Hindsight's a wonderful thing. I mean, you think back now. It is. How much would an Ian Wright be worth in this day and age, in this market? More than 250 grand that West Ham paid. He, he'd be worth, uh, at Ian Wright's prime, he'd just be worth so much money. Like, because I think he was so underrated. I mean, the fact that I looked it up um, a, a while ago, but he only played for England 33 times. Which you think to yourself, someone of his calibre, I mean, at that time, England had an abundance of really good strikers, like really, really good strikers. Well, that was the Shearer but, era, wasn't it? When Shearer went, what, 12, 13 I mean, games about scoring? Ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, you think of, I mean, England just had some, I mean, they had Shearer, Sheringham, they had Andy Cole, Ferdinand, um, Robbie Fowler. I mean, at that stand, um, Stan Collimore. So at that time, England had so many good strikers. And Michael Owen, the emergence of Michael Owen coming through as well. So, you know, I, it, it's ridiculous that, you know, that Ian Wright didn't get more caps than he did because he was, he really was. I mean, didn't he score the goal to get them into the 98 World Cup against Italy? I'm sure he did. That, that comes to the, to my memory. But, um, yeah, and I just think he's so underrated. I think that Ian Wright, for me, Ian Wright is the reason why I support Arsenal always has been me and Ian Wright went to the same school um, grew up in the same area um, I, I love Ian Wright but uh, I, I like you Danny you think that he should have stayed but he was you know, 34 he be, and a half and he went to West Ham for half a million he didn't want to be anyone's backup and I can I, I totally understand I mean you did have a nail and Burkamp who were going to be the first two 100% hands down but we also had um Christopher Ray at that time, didn't we? Um, so you may looking at him thinking, would he have been fourth choice goalkeeper? Goalkeeper, hear me, fourth choice striker. Um, so you never know, but yeah, happy birthday, Ian. Um, one of Arsenal's definitely best players of all time. He definitely gets into the top five of best Arsenal players ever. Hundred percent. I mean, you don't become Arsenal's record goal scorer without being very, very good and obviously being overtaken by, like Chris said, arguably the best player to ever play for the club. So definitely go there. Um, we need to say thanks to Jack for sorting out that video. And uh, you, yeah, go and watch it at uh, Wenger. What was this? I've forgotten already. At uh, Wenger Film. Yeah, that's on all of the... Oh yeah, those social medias. Uh, Chris, we're doing um, gentlemen's nods now. Have you got one? Uh, gentlemen's nods. Um, a, other people call it a shout out, but we're, we're, we're a little out. bit too old for that. Danny, um, Danny's just a knob. <laughs> I'm going to give a shout out to um, my mate 
Captain Stubble, uh, which is Mark King, and um, SJ Neighbour, Steve Neighbour, two lads I go to the football with, who hopefully I'll be seeing this weekend, although I think they've both said on our WhatsApp group, not coming. So thanks, lads. <laughs> I didn't know that was Mark's account. It sure is. Yep. Oh, I used to follow him for years. Yeah, I bet he follows me now, and I just didn't C-A-P-T, realize. C A P T, Captain Stubble, Capt Stubble, I think it is. Captain Carlet Stubble. Give him I'm a follow. Look. Click on it, you tit. No, he doesn't follow me. He's dead to me. Um, <laughs> probably get banned again soon, anyway. Um, and tell people about your your daily blog that you write, Chris. Well, well yes, Carl's I write daily ramblings first thing in the morning. Um, I write whatever comes into my head, which is usually nonsense, um, but it's always about Arsenal and what I'm feeling and thinking. Um, uh, so today, I actually wrote about the. I'm starting to actually think about what if. What if Arsenal could beat Liverpool? What if Arsenal could go on an unbeaten run? What if Arsenal? Because of what if Arsenal were basically Conte's Chelsea when they weren't in the when they weren't in Europe? I'm having those irrational thoughts at the moment. So that was what I wrote about today. It's suburbangooners.com. Good. Carl, have you got one before we do a couple of listeners' questions? I've done these around. Um, around. Got so I'm just gonna go to uh Ian Wright. So oh, I'm just gonna shout out Ian Wright. It's his birthday today. Happy birthday, Mr. Ian Wright. The reason why I support Arsenal, um, club legend, absolutely brilliant player for Arsenal and I hope that you have had the most fantastic day um, ever and keep doing what you're doing because I love seeing you on Match of the Day and all the other programmes that you do. Ah, well, there you go. Lovely. Um, I'm seeing if who I can um, say hello to. Um, maybe the person... Uh, oh, there you go. The Swedish Freddy. He's um, at Fredrik, F-R-E-D-R-I-K, D A N E L L, the Swedish Freddy. Lovely bloke. We have uh, been following each other on Twitter for many, many years and on the Instagrammings. And uh, just a nice bloke. Always a little bit cheeky. So that's uh, right. I forgot to do the questions, Carl. We have got um, only got a few. Start with you, Chris, from Matt L. Roberts. Has anybody seen the goal of the month um, op- um, options? Because I haven't. I haven't no, seen the goal of the month not. options, but I do recall the goals. Uh, so Matt says, uh, from the next from the goal of the month competition, which is your favourite and which one is your least favourite? So I don't answer because I've not seen either. Uh, my most favourite would probably be the Emil Smith-Rowe goal to make it 3-0 uh, against mm-hmm. Aston Villa. Because I just love the way that we just transition from back to forward so quickly. And, you know, Smith-Rowe picks the ball up and wins the ball on the edge of his box, plays it to Aubameyang, a little flick over, a great touch from Aubameyang, nods it down and he's through, and he gets a little bit of fortune, which is always good to see Emi Martinez sad. So, uh, Do you know he used to be Arsenal? I, I had heard, I can't yeah. remember, it so long ago, so yeah. it's not like he mentions it or anything <laughs> like that. Um, the, the, the least favourite, that's a difficult one, because that's like the least best. Um, I would probably say the Gabriel one this weekend. And the reason why I put, put picture that one out is because VAR has done done me so many times that I didn't prop, I only half celebrated it because I was expecting there to be some kind of a, oh no, yes. there's been a nudge by a defender. So you can't celebrate until you his know, grandmother was offside. Minutes. Yeah, exactly. Even though, even though it's a corner, there'll be there'll be some sort of nudge or something like that. So that would be the least favourite, but that's only because 
I immediately looked to VAR to screw us over. Jolly good. Um, well, Matt asks me, did I have to explain to my guest what a kettle was? No, but I did. Uh, we ate pizza together. And it, it was lovely. And he knows I don't like people. I don't like drunk people. So he only had one glass of wine. And it's me, him, Sean, and Sean's mum. We all went to Huntington Place, uh, um, Doe and Co. I think it might have been called. And the bill came for about eighty-five quid. And I went. I got my card. I said, "I'm paying." I got my card out. Went to give it to the woman, and he leant round the back of me and gave her his card round the back. And said, "I'm paying." I went, and I said, "Fair enough. I'm not going to argue. I don't ever argue when someone offers to pay because it means I don't have to." So, uh, yes, um, right. Carl, a question from Maurice Moss, straight from the It Crowd, it says, uh, "What will it take to change the positive sentiment on Arteta on this unbeaten run?" <laughs> uh, sadly, like very little. Jealous, <laughs> like, like, yeah, uh, it won't at all. I think. See, we probably touching on the next podcast, but like everyone, I don't think anyone's expecting us to beat Liverpool. I know Chris said, what if? And yeah, what if we do? But I don't think anyone's expecting us to beat Liverpool. But I think it'll be the manner in what we lose. I think, if sorry, if we lose. I don't want to be negative, but if we do lose to, to Liverpool, I think it'll be the manner that we, we lose in. If we get spanked 6-0, then yeah. That'll be it, won't it? Um, it'll all be doom and gloom once again. Um, I'm saying this like we're gonna, like it's guaranteed we're gonna beat Watford. But even a loss to Watford, a loss to Watford, not a positive result against Watford, and then you've got two weeks of stewing over it because it's international break. So that's not going to be good. But I, I listen, you can only play what's in front of you, and I think Mikel Arteta at the moment he's doing a good job. He's not under criticism. Sorry, he's he's not beyond criticism. Is he long-term the man for the job? No. I, I, I would die on this hill. Mikel Arteta is not long-term the person for the job. And I do think there are better options out there. I think it's going to be interesting with Conte going to that lot up the road. I really do. I think he had to... Conte is a very good manager, but Spurs are still Spurs. And he's still got the same Spurs players. And whether... He can get that Spurs team working. Whether Harry Kane decides he's going to turn up for games, it remains to be seen. Um, but I think you have to look at what's going on around you. We're fifth, well, joint fourth, if you look at it. Um, so for me, I am I'm cautiously optimistic around the good times remaining at Arsenal. I think that we had the team to do well. But it's not just us, it's the other team around us. We have to, unfortunately, we're going to have to rely on other teams around us to take points from the teams on top of us to see how well we can build up in that table. I agree completely. Right, Chris, from the normal Gooner, are you excited for now and the future of the team with the new spine through the team, Ramsdale, White, Laconga, etc.? I think, as we said earlier, we're all very excited about how awesome Aaron Ramsdale is um, and uh, everything that he provides. I think Ben White and um, Gabriel are fantastic players. I think Saliba coming in next season as well, but it looks like it's going to be good. So we've got a fantastic spy, and I think we need to build on it, though. I feel like we need that one more midfielder. Um, we get that one more elite midfielder, 
and then next summer we get in a, a great striker i'll be very excited yeah <laughs> one thing i'd like to see is whether um Tavares can play at right back because when we signed him it's said that he can play either side if he can play right back as well because like you were saying earlier he can play on on his, on his right at left back if he's as good at right back as he is at left back then we don't need a, a right back a, a backup right back yeah. but we can't expect um Tommy to do absolutely everything for the next three seasons at right back because other than him and maybe Maitland-Niles who his future I don't think is going to be a right back he's going to be in central midfield and that's yeah. the only thing I think we need to look out for. Yeah, can I just say, Tavares sounds like a Christian Dior eau de parfum, doesn't it? Well, as, as, <laughs> as Magic Mike says, because Tom said Tavares and then Mike calls two vages, which <laughs> makes it something you're never, ever going to forget when you see him running. So sorry about that. Um, right, Carl, normal gooner has added another bit. Also, rightly, Ramsdale has been grabbing headlines recently, but how good have Gabriel's performances been since returning from the Olympics? To add, are we as fans getting a bit carried away? That's what Arsenal fans, fans do. Yeah, That's what we do. Exactly. That's exactly what we do. Why not? When a player's playing well, you build them up like they're the best in the world. And obviously, when they're playing so well, you, you give them stick. It's, 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 it's part and parcel, unfortunately, of being a footballer. That's it's exactly what we do. Um, I honestly think that he, he's in his moment at the moment. He's in his moment. He's got a partner who he's comfortable with. Um, you know, playing not playing with Mustafi obviously gives you bags of confidence because playing with Mustafi would make you shit the bed, wouldn't it? Um, and he's also playing in front of a goalkeeper who's given him confidence. So that's also very, very good. I think that this partnership is going to be very good. And um, like Chris said, Arteta's going to have a good problem next season when we do get players back because he's going to have the option of who does he play and do go to a back three. Do we play, still play to? Does Saliba sit on the bench? Does Wax sit on the bench? Does Gabriel sit on the bench? You know, it, it's, it, I think it's a very good problem to have, but whoever, whether it's Mikel Arteta or A, another, whoever's going to be there at the end of the season, they're the ones who have to decide. But, you know, they're just like at the moment, Smith Rowe. Smith Rowe is playing absolutely brilliantly. And by all means, we are hyping him up. We're calling him. Some people are calling him, you know, the best team, uh, not team manager, the best young player in the league. Rightly so. But, you know, I think we we need to be cautious and he's going to have some bad games. He's going to go for a run where he doesn't play well, where he's not scoring. And we can't then shit on him and then say, oh, we shit, we should have, we shouldn't be playing him, this, that and the other. You know, he, he's still going to be a good player. So at the moment, like Odegaard, I've seen people talk about, how Odegaard needs to come in and perform and play well. He's just going for a moment. Give him his chance. And Martin Odegaard will be the Martin Odegaard that we know. Exactly. And you just got to have pa- you just got to have patience with people. That's what it is. And uh, the normal Gunner has added to this. I think it's his own point of view. The performances have definitely been better. 
but the opposition hasn't been top calibre. I will say that Big Mick has had generally good results against top Premier League teams in his tenure, which is something he has over Wenger because Wenger used to get his ass spanked by the big team, the best teams, and then uh, often lose to the worst teams and do all right against the teams in the middle, whereas uh, Big Mick, as he calls him, has a past of beating the big teams, which is uh, important. Anything else we need to cover before only, we... But you can only play who's in front of you. You know, if we, if we play Chelsea and we beat them, fuck, fuck, mm. cool. If we play Norwich and beat them, cool. We can only... You, you know what I mean? You can't... There's no Super League yet, but we can only play who they put in front of us. And, you know, if it's only those teams that we, we beat them, so be it. But for me... And as always, a win is a win, no matter who you play. If we win, great. If we lose, not so great. And we should say uh, thank you to Tottenham and Lol Spurs for the constant entertainment and the the chuckle they give us and uh, tweeting their new Italian manager in Spanish. That's always a classy move. And then deleting it, the absolute tools. Right, anything else we can to cover? Can I ask one question really quickly? I know, but quickly, Chris, what do you think think Tottenham are going to be with Conte, do you think they're going to do well under him? I do. I think it's uh, going to be a challenge, actually, because he's probably going to sack off, if they're still in that um, budget European competition, he's probably just going to keep rotating and play the Mickey Mouse players because he's going to want to um, demonstrate his credentials against Tottenham, against um, other Premier League um, teams. I think he's going to quickly adapt them, quickly change them. He'll get them playing with an intensity which just didn't exist under Nuno or Mourinho towards the end. I think they'll be a better team. Whether or not they're a Champions League team, I don't know because their back line is really terrible and their midfield is a bit meh, if you're honest with like their, The technical ability of that midfield is very average, if you ask me. But they've got game changers if Harry Kane can be bothered to show up. Um, Son is just a brilliant player. It hates me to say all of this. Son is a brilliant player. But if... Conte sets them up in the 3-5-2, as everyone's expecting, with wing-backs. I think they're going to be a good team, providing players stay fit. Yeah. Sorry. It's it's, it's but, a thing that I've been playing on my mind for the last 24 hours, seeing him wandering around, just thinking, why did you do that? 18-month contract, though. I think that says more about his plans. I reckon if he'd have waited another week, he could have got the Man United job. Maybe. Sure. then that would have been trouble because that is a team full of magnificent players where Spurs have got two and a half. Yeah. He's, I don't think he's going to do much there. Any manager will be in trouble if, if uh, Harry doesn't play, doesn't want to play, doesn't want to defend, doesn't do his job. And so the first thing he needs to do is get Harry out of that club. Definitely. Anyway, that's it. Well, I think we're all done. We are uh, indeed. It was a close a good yeah, it was a good talk. Um, Chris, it was definitely lovely to pod with you again. And we must get you yeah. on uh, again because those other fuckers in the group don't want to do it. I see they're all apologising now. They're all at work. Chris was Can we sub this Chris for the other Chris? Definitely. Have you got, you know, a, have you got a terrible fashion sense? He's a good friend. No, <laughs> not as terrible as his. Not as terrible as his. Everybody said, well, I said to Mike, what was the first thing you noticed when you saw Chris? He went, the awful way he dresses. Definitely the trousers <laughs> or jeans. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
Definitely. <laughs> he never gets a, he never gets a fair um, shout, does he? Our, our poor old pirate. He's a lovely man. He is. He is. He, I, I love. I I actually do love Chris. Like he's. Don't like Ellis though. Fuck Ellis, but no, we love Chris. Get right. on with it. Yes, thank you for thank you for coming on, Chris. Like, much appreciated. Thanks for having me. Been lovely. It's been really good chatting with you, gents. Always good to talk to Arsenal. Thanks. No worries, Danny. You have to be here, so I'm not thanking you. Cause and I'm not thanking you because you, just... you have to be here. I'll thank your oh, plant man. behind you. Leave my leave my that needs to go outside. I just haven't had the chance to put it in the uh, the bin yet because it's gone. I've tried to get it back to life. It's not happening. Um, so you don't uh, bin plants, silly. What do you do? Murderer. What do you do with them if they're dead? Then you'd be nice to it. You feed it stuff. You rub it. Take it to bed. Take it in the shower with you. Sing to it. Whisper it to yeah. it. I talk to Be my happy. plants. Danny, you talk to people that are not there as well. I do. On that note, dear listener, thank you for listening. This has been a Burkhab one another last door podcast. Uh, we will be back next week to talk about the amazing win over Watford and um, hopefully the capitulation of Spurs and Man United. Thank you. And good evening, good night, good morning, wherever you're listening to this. Danny, press that button. As soon as I scored that goal, I was fucking livid. Splendid business. Get down, dog.